Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Welcome to the EduTrends podcast, conversations with experts from around the globe about the discovery and creation of the future of higher education and lifelong learning. I am Jose Pepe Camilla, director of Tech Labs, an educational innovation unit of Tecnológico de Monterrey. Over the past three decades, I have been working on innovative pedagogies and learning technologies. I hope this EduTrends podcast will help us understand the future of learning. I visited the Brookings Institute in Washington, D.C. to meet with Rebecca Winthrop, who is a senior fellow and director of the Center for Universal Education at Brookings. We try to answer if classrooms are evolving as fast as technological transformations. Rebecca defined what does a paradigm shift that uses leapfrogging looks like in education. She shared with us a leapfrog pathway that includes four pockets in that continuum. Hi, I'm in Washington, D.C., uh, visiting the Brookings Institution, and uh, today I have the opportunity to talk to Rebecca Winthrop. Rebecca? Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming to visit. Thank, thanks for receiving me. Rebecca, um, I was um, uh, telling you a, a while ago that um, on the last 100 years, music has advanced so much. So uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, if you wanted to listen to music, you had to listen to a, a real band, no? then became the phonograph and was a disruptive technology. Later, the uh, uh, CDs, then the iPod, digital music, and now streaming. So I'm a, a very kind of a music guy. No? I like music a lot. But on the last maybe eight years, I haven't bought almost no CDs, no, 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 no digital uh, compact music. Uh, the transformation had, has been amazing in music. And when we look at education, um, I don't think that education has taken advantage of those technologies. What, what do you think? Mm, that's a really uh, good question and a comparison that I think is often made. Um, and I have been looking a lot at that question that I'll tell you about in a minute. But there is one thing I wanted to note. I think a lot of people say that, um, and I've seen this at least in the United States in our news media say, you know, if uh, you were frozen in time a hundred years ago and then you woke up a hundred years later, you would recognize nothing in society but a school. You would only mm -hmm. recognize a school. Mm -hmm. Do you have that same type of narrative in, in Mexico? Yes, uh, yes we do. So <laughs> I would say to that one, Yes, that's true, but it doesn't mean that necessarily what's happening inside classrooms is exactly the same as okay. it was 100 years ago. So I think it's, I think that's maybe a little unfair to the sort of hard work and teaching and learning innovations that have happened inside classrooms um, over the many, many years in the teaching profession. But the statement overall is something that I've been um, thinking about a lot, but more with the the... Uh, lens of of what how you democratize and much more rapidly expand access to high quality teaching and learning because in your example about music 
you know, it was hard to, I think that's a great example because it was hard to get to a, to go hear a, a live music probably. You had to make the time, first of all, you had to have the time. You maybe had to pay some money, right? So not every, everybody had access to that. Maybe we was l lousy also, the right? musicians. Um, well, I'm sure there was fabulous music, but um, the, in the example, it shows, I think that there's a lot more equity in access to all sorts of different types of music. You know, to hear a, you know, a Nash, you know, a fabulous high-end opera sung a hundred years ago, it would probably cost you a lot and only a certain elite would get to go. Yes. Now, probably anybody can listen to it. So I've been thinking a lot about um, transformation and education systems with that lens. What could we do to rapidly accelerate progress so all young people in the world could have access to a really high quality teaching and learning experience that prepares them for the future, both work, life, and citizenship. So yeah, that's something I've been thinking a lot about. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and tell me, what, uh, what do you think are, will be the, the first steps uh, yeah. that we should take? Well, one of the things um, we've been doing a lot of research here with the team at our Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institution is around the role of innovation And what can we learn from education innovations around the world to sort of see what could education transformation look like in the future? So we have done a large study. We looked at three, almost 3,000 education innovations um, in 166 countries. So we have a very large global catalog. Uh, <coughs> and we looked to see, you know, what is happening in the ground? And the, and the first thing we noted was that actually there's lots of innovation happening in education in every corner of the globe. It's like people are hungry for new ways of doing business in, in education. Um, and then the second thing we noticed is that a lot of what's happening um, can point towards what we call uh, a leapfrog pathway. Now, we got this idea of leapfrogging um, from different sectors. And in English, Um, leapfrogging is used in Spanish. I think we were talking earlier, you said it's not a great translation, but something like a quantum leap or mm -hmm. a exactly. salta. Salto quantico. Quantico, salta mm -hmm. quantico. Um, and we looked at other sectors. We looked at um, telecommunications and the massive move from, you know, the long time and expensive time that it takes to lay copper wire for landlines for telephones And in certain parts of the world, they you look. if you look at sub-Saharan Africa, people barely did that. They just jumped right to mobile phone use and massive expansion of um, access to information, mobile banking. Once it, you got on cell phones, you don't have to build bank, bank branches in rural areas that never had access to credit, and, and, and um, which is a really important for, for particularly for poor families. And that was a massive expa <coughs> expansion of access to to um, credit in the financial inclusion sector, for example. So we, these leapfrog ideas are, um, were taken from other sectors. And we started to think, you know, what, what, would a, what would a paradigm shift that uses leapfrogging as the model um, look like in education? And, hmm. and we noticed that there's really probably two big differences from other sectors. You can't just take it from another sector and apply it to education. And the two big differences, at least we thought, were one, you have to really be clear 
where you want to leapfrog to. Like, if you want to do a salta quantico, what is your end goal? In other sectors, it's very clear. In financial inclusion, everyone agrees. It's a bank account, access to credit um, that can help foster, you know, families' abilities um, to, to get loans, tide themselves over, invest. Nobody has a disagreement. In education, I mean, the purpose of education, what would, what would you define as the purpose of education? I'm, I know I'm asking questions of the interviewer now. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to do that, Rebecca. <laughs> no, uh, preparing people for life and work to become better right. citizens. Right. So that, that is a really close definition to what I, I would say. But everybody seems to have a slightly different definition. Some mm -hmm. people focus on democracy and citizenship some people focus on work and individual skills some you know folks focus on lifelong learning and and sort of your individual uh, mm -hmm. sort of personal fulfillment right so it's not a hundred percent clear exactly what the end goal is some people focus you know very specifically you know just reading and writing and math the basics um, mm -hmm. is what the real focus should be so we said you know we're gonna plant our flag. When we say leapfrogging, leapfrogging to where? Uh -huh. We're going to plant our flag on a type of education that, yes, develops strong academic competence, but also develops the full suite of, you know, quote unquote, 21st century skills that young people need to thrive in work, life, and citizenship. And that sort of breadth of competence and skills um, is what we think every kid should have an opportunity to access, no matter where they're born. Um, and I think, you know, in certain schools around the world, um, largely for more wealthy communities, kids are getting that type of education, but in most schools, they're not. So that was one big difference. And then the second big difference, if you think about leapfrogging, taking <coughs> the idea, the concept from another sector and applying it to education, is in most cases, um, the legacy infrastructure, so the copper wires laid down to make landlines for telecommunication or the physical building of a bank, people don't need them anymore. They don't use them. They don't deal with them. They're thrown out. You don't need them anymore. And we kept thinking, you know, the legacy infrastructure of education is really schools. And would you really want to throw out schools? Um, and we said, you know, we, we, don't, we don't think so. Some people do argue you should throw out schools. We think that um, they serve a really important equity function, um, given that every family and community has different sort of levels of assets and capabilities. Um, but what you need to do is transform what schools actually look like. What do they do inside schools? What's the teaching and learning process? What does it look like? Uh, schools being much more connected, you know, with what's happening out in communities, et cetera. So those are kind of our two big differences okay. for the education sector. And uh, how are dance are in this uh, leapfrog process? So, so you have defined your uh, flag, as you say, yeah. flag. Yeah, uh, where to leapfrog to. Uh -huh. Where to leapfrog to. So what we have done to date is we have developed something called a leapfrog pathway, which is a general guide on how you could travel across a leapfrog type of continuum um, to, 
to really rapidly accelerate progress. And, and we developed that through looking at the innovations around the world, comparing them to um, existing evidence in the academic literature about what works to transform teaching and learning to make sure young people get that full breadth of skills and competencies. Um, and it really consists of kind of four big buckets. The first is to um, expand your menu of teaching and learning experiences to, yes, include direct instruction, but much more space for active, engaged, playful learning experiences. Um, the second big bucket, again, is to think a little bit differently about how you surface and recognize the learning that's happening of stu among students. And that can be, yes, of course you need, you know, basic assessments on academic um, skills, but you also need to be able to recognize and support uh, different competencies and skills, whether it's critical thinking or teamwork and collaboration or empathy. Um, and then also think a little bit differently about how um, people out in society, whether they're employers, community groups, faith-based groups, are given the signal or recognize talent. And that gets into the badging, the micro-credentials, um, sort of more individualized ways of recognizing learning. So that's the second bucket. Move along that continuum. The third bucket is um, your area of expertise, uh, leveraging technology and data. So how do you um, leverage technology in a way that doesn't just substitute or augment for existing analog functions that are happening, but really can transform and modify the entire teaching and learning experience, what's possible. Um, and then the last one is about diversifying the people and places where the fourth big bucket, where learning takes place. So yes, you still need professional, tra well-trained, high-quality teachers, but more and more they can partner and pair with non-professional educators, be they a peer from an older grade, be they a community member, a grandparent with some oral tradition to share, an employer, an artist, et cetera, um, and really think about crowding in and widening the profile of who educators are and where learning can take place. Okay. So those are the kind of four big pieces that we've developed in terms of thinking about this path to travel on if you want to leapfrog. Okay, so the, the first one is a, a more engaging yeah. teaching. Mm -hmm. The second one is more the... Individualized recognition and the, the, of learning. The third one is uh, the power of technology. Mm -hmm. And the third one is... The Fourth one is diversifying people and places. And places, not only the teacher, but other actors mm -hmm. that uh, can participate. And I think there is uh, Alan Kay that say that the future is here, but mm -hmm. is not uh, evenly distributed. Evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. Where's the, do you know if the future is here, and what should we look at? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, so one of the main messages that I think we are now in the process. Um, and we'd love your help with this or advice also, um, in the process of trying to get out there mm -hmm. is exactly what you just said, which is this is possible. Leapfrogging is possible. And the reason we know it's possible is we see small, small examples around the world of it actually happening on the ground. Um, 
I'll give you, <coughs> excuse me, one of my favorite examples, which is from Latin America, from Brazil. Um, there was this initiative, which maybe you've heard of, um, from the um, sort of previous Minister of Education in the state of Amazonas in Brazil, which um, was trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together differently in order to make sure all young people in his state got access to a high quality education from primary through secondary school. Now, tr traditionally, <coughs> the outside of the capital of Amazonas state, it's, as you can imagine, a very, very rural, um, hard to reach um, remote part of the world with lots of very small communities, many of them indigenous communities, um, mainly had access to primary school for many, many years, hadn't had access to secondary school, um, a national law around children's right to education was passed in Brazil some time ago, which gave the legal framework to say all kids should have access to secondary school. So he was trying to deliver on that. And he knew that there weren't enough teachers in the entire state to be able to give us a, a traditional model of secondary school to every single kid in the state. So what he did is work with communities and teacher organizations and developed a new model. He divided the teaching profession into two. He made the best, very best teachers, rock star teaching television stars, broadcasting from the capital, Manaus, via two-way video uplink to small little classrooms around the rest of the state. Um, it was in real time. And he made the rest of the teachers were mentoring teachers. Um, and they were there to support with the technology, but also provide all the, you know, range of other supports that you need as a teacher when you're dealing with young people, coaching and making sure they did their homework, right? All this other mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and it's worked really well. It's scaled <laughs> very quickly. The kids are more or less performing on average in national exams. And in a few short years, you went from a place that had no access to, um, secondary school to um, access to secondary school with a curriculum, I should say, that was very high quality because it had been localized and tailored to their particular context. That, that, that's a, a, a good example. And um, when you say good quality, how do you measure the quality? Of the curriculum? Yes. Yeah. Um, the, one of the things that was really important in this, in this example is there, had, there was a distance learning curriculum that existed in Brazil and they got, it was national and they got permission to take it um, and with some of the best teachers um, and really uh, integrate relevant contextual factors um, that made connected to young people's lived experiences. So I think you could assess the curriculum on many different dimensions. In this particular case, um, I think it was uh, a, a good curriculum and the fact that it was very locally localized and contextually relevant makes a real difference, especially when you're dealing with education for marginalized communities, to have examples and problems and of you know contexts where um, they they can immediately connect. Um, so uh, uh, going uh, that's yeah. uh, very interesting because that's um, um, an aspect. Going back to my example of mm -hmm. music, um, 
Mm. I'm a heavy user of Spotify, one mm -hmm. of the first ones, because I used to live in Europe at that yeah. time. Uh, so I got the, uh, uh, in 2008, I was one of the first clients. And uh, it can give me uh, some recommendations on, mm -hmm. on what I learned. And so my experience is personalized. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about personalized mm -hmm. learning? Because in this case, it seems like the example of the Amazonas is more or less Not treating yeah. equally every yeah. student. Yeah, I, I and you're right. It isn't, um, I would say, it's a huge leapfrog in terms of access okay. and equity. And I think it's a probably, you know, a halfway leapfrog in terms of the mode of teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll give you an example, which is a very interesting example that I have visited recently. And I happen to be on the board of this NGO. There is a group called Imagine Worldwide. Um, and they are dedicated to really improving literacy around the world. Um, and they kind of broker and do matchmaking and do research around interesting um, adaptive, individualized adaptive learning um, products and, ser and services and very remote poor communities who can help, who need it and can help scale it. And um, they're doing a testing, testing this approach at the moment, and I think it has huge potential. So this is in where they're, they're doing a randomized control trial in Malawi, the Malawian government, um, and an NGO called VSO. And it is basically um, primary schools in Malawi, which government primary schools are very, very underfunded. So average class size, 100 kids to one teacher, um, and their learning levels are very low, which is not surprising when you have 100 um, kids to one teacher. And so what they've done is they've um, piloted this tablet-based literacy and math program where the kids get, um, you know, a little bit of time each week to go and take their take a tablet, which is powered by a solar battery, because this is a place that has no electricity. Mm -hmm. um, and they, what's amazing about it is it goes from zero literacy and scaffolds and brings them up to literacy. So they log on by looking for their picture. And every kid can, you know, they do it in shifts. So, um, you know, every kid logs on by clicking on their picture. And then there's a digital teacher. Um, and it's the software that's made by this, um, really interesting company, uh, nonprofit called 1 billion and the digital teacher starts walking them through on, on basic learning how to read. The digital teacher is on the tablet. On the tablet. Okay. And they, it's both sound recognition, it's letter recognition. They do writing, they test on writing, they test speaking. Um, and these kids are learning to read from zero basically. Uh, and it's. Every time, you know, every time they use it, it remembers where it left off. Every kid goes at a different pace because some kids need a lot more practice on certain parts. Um, and there's really, you could have the best teacher in the world and you have 100 kids in a class. You are very limited to how you can, um, you know, differentiate instruction to those kids. Here, it's it totally individualized. And it's, you know, so far the, the study isn't done yet, but it looks really, really promising. So to me, that's also a, a leapfrog. That's a big breakthrough. Sure. Well, you said there's an organization or a company, one billion? 
Uh, one billion is a non is a non NGO, and they actually just won. There is a something called an X Prize. Are you familiar with the yes. X Prize? So there was an X Prize for literacy for mm -hmm. out of school kids, and they they just won it with another group. Okay. Yeah. So they're kind of best in class in the world on this. Sounds uh, so they there were uh, tied two winners. Tied uh, two winners. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I, I was aware about, about that competition, but not about the winners. Yeah, the so. one billion and a group called Kit Kit School won. Okay. Yeah, tied. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I should say the, the, this is the beginning of a journey. You know, it is far from perfect. There's a lot of work to be, you mm -hmm. know, figure out how to make it a scale smoothly, but just also the the actual software, how to make it the most productive it is. You know, there's a lot of work to do, but to me, that's a great example of a huge leapfrog potential move. Okay. And uh, we can also learn, learn um, from from failure. Do you mm -hmm. have some examples of uh, uh, an essay that didn't work out very well and that we can learn from? Uh, so, I will prefer not to name names, sure. <laughs> but what I will say is we um, looked at all when we when we looked at all these education innovations, the you know across all these countries, many 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 of them involved educational technology. Half of them, about fifteen hundred, um, and that's a lot of groups. And <coughs> we didn't look at. Um, Well, first of all, a lot of them were new and they don't have sort of, you know, gold standard ev independent evaluations. So what, what, so we didn't <laughs> necessarily look at that. But what we did do is we looked at what we would call their leapfrog potential. And we used what we consider to be sort of a very, very basic, well-accepted rubric, the SAMR framework, substitution, augmentation, modification, and redefinition, um, that was developed by Ruben Putadera out of Harvard a while back, which basically says, if technology just substitutes for an analog function, you know, there might be some reasons to use it. So if you're doing a multiplication worksheet, and instead of doing it on paper, you do it on a tablet, maybe you're saving trees or paper or not having to, you know, the teacher mm -hmm. do photocopies. Um, but it's not really changing the teaching and learning process. You are not drastically going to move anything. They're still getting the same type of a thing. Um, if you augment it where, you know, you have a multiplication worksheet on a tablet and it automatically grades, And it then frees up some of the teacher's time because they don't have to grade and maybe they can do more real-time mm -hmm. instruction. Oh, half the class didn't get, you know, multiplying by fours. Let's go over that. That could be very helpful and that's a good thing, but it's not going to massively change the teaching and learning experience either. Like it's still teaching multiplication through worksheets, right? So you're looking for things where you can have higher leapfrog potential, where you can modify what's possible and redefine what's possible. I would say, <coughs> you know, interesting in the Brazil example that they use technology to redefine what was possible because, you know, can we even deliver secondary schools to these kids? Well, let's redefine what's possible. Yes, we can. We just have to do it by two-way video uplink. I would say the same, the same for, um, sort of one billion and imagine worldwide, can we even think about giving kids in a class of a um, hundred kids per 
students some individualized attention and in, in literacy and numeracy. Yes, it's just not going to be through like keep training that poor teacher to, to figure out how to do differentiated instruction. It's going to be through a tech app. Um, so there was a number of really interesting innovations that we would say have the potential to leapfrog or modify and redefine what's possible. But there was a bunch, in fact, what, the majority, that were just augmenting and substituting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not that that's bad. It's just that it's not going to really change the world. It's going to make marginal, incrementally more efficient existing types of teaching and learning. It will not lead to leapfrogging, the type of big change we really need. Um, and I think there's lots of great examples of directions that we could use technology. So you could imagine what falls into substitution and augmentation, um, the different types of products. So we, we have to look for more of those um, uh, examples in the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we found a number. Um, but they're by no means in the majority from our sample. We didn't look at every single education innovation in the world because it's a fast-moving target. It changes every year. But we learned a lot about the education innovation community by looking so extensively. Okay. M moving uh, back to your um, um, framework of four mm -hmm. uh, um, like pillars, uh, the second one uh, related to micro-credential or, or different mm -hmm. level of recognition of learning, transforming how we recognize yes. learning. Uh -huh. uh, what, what are, you, you work particularly more on K-12. Are you thinking on micro-credentials for K-12 or you're thinking yeah. on more like a lifelong learning journey? Yeah, um, it's a really, really interesting point. One of the, I'll give you an example of something that I think is really exemplifies what is possible. I think there's many different ways of recognizing student learning differently that could be more individualized. Um, and one of them comes out of South Africa. It's a um, project called Go for Gold. And it, uh, it works with high school students, very, very um, sort of marginalized communities and townships. Um, and it Uh, pairs with um, employers in the construction industry. And South Africa, the, the reason this whole program started is because South Africa had a lot of jobs open in the construction industry, and that includes project foremen, architects, engineers, project managers. And they had, even with high youth unemployment rates, they, they had a hard time finding South African young people graduating who they could hire. And they were having to import talent from other countries. Mm -hmm. So... Basically, they um, have this sort of uh, twinning uh, experience where um, the school partners at the end of high school, part, at the end of secondary school, partners with um, employers in the construction industry. Um, and the young people spend a year in a company doing jobs, you know, as part of the team. And they're getting... Uh, education and instruction from the school. They're getting classes, but they're getting mentorship and guidance from the employers, what it's actually like 
to work in an environment. And all of a sudden you might see kids who didn't do great in their history exam, but really have the interpersonal skills to um, work with team members, to put a project management timeline together and follow up with them really start to blossom. And the companies watch these kids, mentor and watch and guide them. And at the end of the year, they assess them themselves based on a real life experience, not based on just their grades on a transcript, an academic subject from the end of high school, from having seen them in real life for a year. And they decide, do these young people have the potential to, to work in our company? And if they decide yes, they pay, fully pay, for them to go to higher education. Mm -hmm. And then the young people have to repay that debt by working for a couple of years with them. And so far, about 80%, last I checked, of the students get fully supported to go on to fully supported for higher education. 80% of the students, the companies say, yeah, they have the skills we need because they're also looking for soft skills, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's hard to see in a school transcript. Yeah. So that's a way of thinking a little bit differently. It's not the same as micro-credentialing, but it is a great way of being more individualized in your assessment of someone's mm -hmm. competencies. So it's, um, uh, it, it gets also on the fourth bucket of uh, increasing the... Diversifying the people the, and places. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. Because you're taking... And also the account. first bucket of having a teaching and learning environment that's much more engaged, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, active, experiential, you know... I use the umbrella playful learning to, to mean, you know, iterative, experiential, connected with people, but, but real very, life. Yeah. Very interesting. So uh, just um, a final question. Yes. Um, in, in 10 years from now, let's say in 2030, uh, where do you, will you be in this quantum leap, leapfrog <laughs> situation? Well, or where the world will be? <laughs> oh, different parts moment, of the world. Okay, to say where I'll be, let me at the moment say where we are now the okay. world. So at the moment, if we don't do anything mm -hmm. and we work on that incremental change, that substitution augmentation, which is, again, as I say, fine, it's not that it's bad, but I don't think it is the tool we need to address the challenge. At the uh -huh. moment, if we continue as we are, almost 900 million young people by 2030 are not going to have the skills they need in basic, very basic, secondary 900? level. 900 million, half the entire youth population okay. by 2030 won't have the basic skills at secondary level skills in literacy, numeracy, critical thinking, mm. and problem solving. That is the mere floor. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We're aiming for more. So we have a big problem. And the, the other big problem is that the pace of change is not fast. Like at the moment, if we do nothing differently, it's going to take 100 years to, for the poorest kids to catch up with the richest kids in most countries around the world. Um, how, how many years? A hundred. A hundred. There's a hundred year gap. Okay. So that's where we are now. I mean, I would love to see uh, that a lot of different jurisdictions or different nonprofit groups uh, around the world start really trying to do things differently, trying to focus on transformation. First of all, putting front and center um, this idea that a breadth of competencies and skills is really the goal. Don't just focus on reading, writing, and math for the poor kids and a full load of design thinking and STEM education and computational thinking and arts and creativity for the rich kids. Don't do that. They both need it. Uh -huh. um, 
so this idea of breadth of skills and then trying to think really creatively about how you put the pieces of the puzzle of the teaching and learning experience in an education system together differently. Um, I don't know where we'll get. I know what we're going to work on next is to develop a series of playbooks um, to really help give more concrete guidance about how you could go about doing that, both looking at technology and looking at various other themes. So we'll see. But we've got to be work together. I wish you a lot of success Sarah, for the sake of those 900 million children and where we can learn more about this and uh, and look for in the right. future of these yeah. playbooks. Um, so at the moment, we are in the process of writing and researching the playbooks, so they're not online. But what you can do is you can go to the Brookings website, um, brookings.edu, and look for Leapfrogging Inequality. And that is the book that we, our most recent publication on mm -hmm. leapfrogging. Mm -hmm. And it outlines the idea, the four buckets, and it looks at a lot of the different innovations around the world that are examples. Um, and then people can contact us. Stay stay tuned. We'll put you on our newsletter. Sure. I, yes. I, I will be C looking -E at your work. Brookings.edu. We'd be happy to um, connect with people who are interested. We need all sorts of good ideas. Sure. So um, I, I hope, uh, I wish you a lot of success in this journey, Rebecca. And thank you very much for receiving me. Muchísimas gracias a usted. Gracias a ti. <laughs> Ciao. Hello. For more information, visit observatory.tech.mx slash edutrendspodcast. Thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey and the Tech Sounds team. Tech Sounds producer, Miguel Mejía. Edutrends producer, Esteban Venegas and Christian Guijosa. Post-production, Max Perez. Stay tuned for the next episode of Edutrends and visit Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content.